Hello and welcome to your Actives AgriFood podcast. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. I'm Julia Dam. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from your Actives AgriFood team. This week, the outcomes of the AgriFish Council and the Food and Biodiversity Package. Welcome back for another episode. Uh, yeah, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, Julia, because uh, you were actually in Luxembourg uh, yes. last week. I was uh, out for a bit out of Brussels, but in Luxembourg, where we had the uh, Agri Ministers Council. They, um, they, they're haunting you. They, you're basically. Yeah, I tried to go on holiday um, yeah. and then turned out I was near Luxembourg, where I'm from. Uh, not from Luxembourg, but from near Luxembourg. And um, yeah, the ministers, and they just, were there. They just followed me there. Oh, they just appeared and. That's, yeah. that's sad and that's actually very common in Brussels. Uh, in Brussels too, when you, it's actually <laughs> happened quite often that I that I met randomly with uh, Janusz Wojciechowski in the street. <laughs> I think we have the same uh, time and the same hours uh, to go. Same uh, our shopping office. and uh, yeah. daily uh, habits. Yeah, our offices uh, are quite close too. So yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, what happened is uh, AgriFish Council. Well, there were some, uh, well, some more contentious topics, some less contentious topics, and one of the most contentious was um, the agricultural reserve, which has been an ongoing saga for quite a while. We've talked about it quite a few times on the podcast. It all started with the um, so-called frontline countries, so the EU countries bordering Ukraine, um, voicing uh, very um, explicit concerns that the. Um, the influx of Ukrainian grain was harming their farmers and there was talk about giving them aid from the Agricultural Reserve, which is the crisis fund with, within the Common Agricultural Policy. So basically this crisis fund is a yearly sum that's set aside in order to cope with market disturbances. And the Commission decided to offer money from this crisis fund to these frontline countries to cope with the influx. And this is something that the EU ministers uh, greenlighted last Monday during during the council. Uh, the first tranche they greenlighted of the 100 million aid package that the commission proposed. Um, but what also happened is that the rest of this crisis reserve that was left for this year is basically being distributed among the rest of the countries. It's not exactly what it's meant yeah, for. Yeah, with, uh, with uh, but even uh, not super well-defined criteria. There, there were also some uh, criticism from some minister, for instance, from uh, the German minister about the lack of transparency. In yeah, he was quite uh, explicit about it, uh, quite yeah, unusually openly critical of the commission, um, saying that, among other things, the delegation had been handed this extensive paper of how the money should be distributed, uh, basically immediately before the meeting and then were expected to have an opinion on it. So he and also some other um, delegations were criticizing that this was a bit of an opaque um, way of dealing with it on the part of the commission. And two delegations also ended up abstaining. It was Belgium and Luxembourg. They didn't support this um, overall deal of how to distribute uh, crisis money. Yeah, it's 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 uh, quite interesting also because uh, when we had the the interview with the minister, uh, the Spanish minister Luis Planas, ahead of the Spanish presidency, which uh, has just started, so we are uh, we are in July. It's the beginning of the the new presidency of the EU Council. So the the Spain agriculture minister will chair the Agrifish Council from now on until uh, December, and uh, he's told us that there are discussion to 
uh, I wouldn't say reform, but at least to reconceive uh, at least the allocation of this money from the agriculture reserve, uh, which already existed in the in the previous uh, CAP program, uh, but now it's been uh, somehow decoupled from uh, from the direct payment. So it's going to be used more and more. Yeah. Now it's basically just a yearly fund that sits there until people start claiming it. Indeed, that's why we are in a in a foundative moment of the of the use of this reserve. So it's it's pretty interesting to understand the criteria of uh, of disbursement, but also of the allocation. Uh, because, for instance, from my experience, I mean, when I, when I uh, was covering the first, the actually the second package, but. Um, uh, sorry, the first package, not the second one of uh, 100 million, uh, but the the very first one, the 56 million one, uh, the criteria of allocation were very strict. Like I remember that they took into consideration the average uh, five year stock capacity in Poland, in Romania, in Hungary, and so on. It was a very long process, and in the end, they were uh, they weren't that much satisfied but in the second package they applied this new system which is uh, basically uh, based on the amount of uh, common agricultural share that you have in the in the direct payments already so that's why for instance we, we're having now Spain's and Italy and and also France and Germany uh, with a, a very big share of this money also because their uh, weight in the in the common agricultural policy is quite uh, big um, and again, this is basically on a proportion on uh, how much you already take from uh, the EU farming subsidies. S so it's not really, as you were saying, it's not really related to mm. the particular crisis situation, which could be a bit controversial. But as I said, we are we are in a very at the beginning of the use of this agricultural reserve. So it's also. Yeah, I mean, it also means it's a bit delicate. What which precedent you set this year? Like how we, how this fund is going to be dealt with in the future? Is it just going to be a yearly uh, wishing like a wish list for member states to come and be like, well, I want money for this and that, yeah. and there's not really any set criteria? Or are we going to have um, transparent and specific criteria applied to this? There were also other topics from the Agrifish Council. There was, uh, um, again, some, some minister uh, pushed again for this uh, ban of, of uh, fuel farming, for instance. We had uh, a story on our website uh, from uh, our colleague Paola. Uh, there was also debate on pesticides cuts. Mm. Uh, and my take is that what is the parliament for the natural restoration law? So basically <laughs> the council going, uh, actually approving a mandate and the parliament still uh, um, stuck in uh, in some process. This uh, situation will be completely reversed when it comes to, to pesticides <laughs> because it seems that the ministers are the one, uh, that we're talking about the sustainable use of pesticide regulation. Um, the minister uh, seems very against. Like we have some kind of schedule for the parliament. Uh, we spoke also with the uh, some months ago with the rapporteur Sarah Wiener at the parliament, and it's okay. It's still um, there are still conflicts and clashes, but at least there's some kind of agenda. While minister on the pesticide cuts seems already mm. seems seem, seem still blocked uh, yeah there might be quite a few among them who are 
hoping to just stall it until yeah. the elections in in June last, next year. One of the main problem is this uh, formula that it's in the annex uh, of the regulation uh, that uh, there was this exercise last July. Uh, they basically simulated this formula that. Uh, should give the amount, the percentage of pesticides uh, that you're supposed to cut. And uh, for instance, for Italy, uh, the formula gave 62% of reduction uh, by 2030. So it's uh, it's also, uh, and the delegate from Italy mentioned this during the, the, the debate with the other ministers. So... Uh, it's still uh, a bit stuck at the, at the council. But, so again, it was a quite dense uh, Irish council, but we have uh, actually our eyes on the future. We're looking yeah. at this <laughs> week's not going to be any uh, any less dense. We can say that th- this is this could be the last uh, full week of work. Okay, we're still going to work after that. I don't <laughs> worry. Uh, but but yeah, summer's coming up, but uh, yeah. now it also means that everything has to be dealt with now before summer's coming up. Yeah, and I think that it's actually, uh, it's not the last because it's going to be the food system, uh, food sustainable system law eventually in the, the third quarter. But it's another big, uh, it's probably one of the biggest events in, uh, in uh, 2023. And this is the presentation of this food and biodiversity package, which includes the soil health law, Regulation on plants produced by new genomic techniques. Uh, we know very contentious. Yeah, revision of food waste and textiles aspect of the U.S. Framework Directive and revision of legislation on seeds and other plant and forest reproductive material. Which are the most interesting one? Well, gene editing. Yeah, gene editing for sure. Well, I mean it's, the soil well, health it's, it's yeah. most interesting if you mean most contentious. Yeah, it's gene yeah, editing. Yeah, yeah. Most interesting in terms of its actual content. Soil health is also very interesting. So what about this, the NGTs? Well, the NGTs proposal, we've already had, uh, we've already seen a leak um, in the past weeks. And judging by this, uh, by this leak, the commission is likely to propose a liberalization of certain new genomic techniques or plants produced by new genomic techniques, rather. Um, So some of these plants... um, produced by certain ones of these uh, techniques are said to be um, treated just like normal, well, normal, I mean, normally produced, organically produced um, plants. Um, according to this uh, commission proposal, or at least according to the leak, and this is something that's um, not gone down well with uh, a lot of stakeholders and, uh, and actors, uh, especially green campaigners, but also green politicians have um, come out against this. Um, the organic sector is also a big opponent because um, if the commission, the commission's plans go through, it would basically mean that some new genomic techniques don't have to be um, traced anymore. So for plants, you couldn't be sure if they've actually been produced using these techniques or if they've been produced through traditional breeding. Um, and this means that the organic sector, which has pledged to uh, not use any genomic techniques, wouldn't be able to claim this anymore because they just wouldn't know. So that's their, their big uh, sticking point here. And we can also expect some countries like um, Austria, which has the EU's biggest organic sector, and also Germany, or at least uh, the green ministers in Germany, to uh, to push back on this. But the it's, for now, it seems like the majority of ministers uh, is in favor of this uh, 
of this liberalization. We'll see how it unfolds in the council afterwards. It's, it's been a bit of a, an open question, this, uh, the presentation of this package, and in particular of the NGT proposal in uh, over the past few months, because it was used in the... Uh, let's say, negotiations between the, the Commission and um, um, the European Parliament to speed up the discussion on a parallel uh, table, uh, the one on natural restoration law and uh, and the pesticide cuts. And at a certain point, there was um, Vice President, Commission Vice President Fran- Franz Timmermans basically saying that we're going to present NGTs if you allow the other uh, key files of the Green Deal when it comes to farming uh, to basically reach uh, at least a position. Uh, so basically the mandate to start negotiation between the Council and the European Parliament. Uh, so it, it has been postponed already once, I think. It was mm. supposed to be in June. Uh, okay, it's still an indicative agenda, but we can say that it's going to be presented this week. It's yeah. highly likely. There's been quite a few hints that it so, will be. Oh, uh, the biggest one is that there was a technical brief, a very mysterious technical briefing with journalists last week. Um, very, very mysterious, but it was on, on the very same day of the European Council. So my take is that some kind of message that... Uh, they're gonna they're gonna do it uh, <laughs> this week so you're like the people trying to find a message and tell us yeah, what concerts like, like, what's you know, she trying to tell us you know that them brown's character you know like all the <laughs> symbols but with agriculture and uh, policy proposals uh but there are also other interesting um uh, other interesting uh, proposals uh you actually said that julia but it's 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 true it's true there was um, uh, there's the soil health law, which is said to give soil. Technically, I mean it's it's what it's uh, in the in the pipeline. That's what we expect, uh, and it's uh, you know giving the soil the same protected legal status as air and water, uh, and it actually comes within this framework of the EU soil strategy, which was presented uh, in November 2021. Uh, you remember we covered quite extensively at that time. There was also a, a recent story by Julia um, on uh, NGOs asking in a letter to set out this criteria uh, that uh, that uh, this law needs to fulfill, which includes ambitious and binding targets on achieving soil health, uh, which should be also monitored and enforced through a strong governance, governance framework. That's what uh, this uh, coalition of NGOs asked the Commission, I think, in March. And as we know, it's very important because the situation of EU soils is not really good. Uh, and we know that it takes about 500 years or even more to create a new layer of healthy topsoil. Uh, and, and it's a long time. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, we all know that soil is so important for, for food. 95% of our food depends on, on the unhealthy condition of, uh, of our soil. And we also know that there's no regulation on soil at the moment. Let's see what could uh, change with the proposal uh, this week. And um, there's also very interesting uh, regulation on seeds and other plants uh, and forest reproductive material. Uh, We're talking about plants, obviously, uh, that are reproduced uh, in order to be used by farmers and also by in, in forests. So this can be seeds, uh, cuttings, uh, trees, uh, 
uh, roots also. And uh, it's basically about forests and, and production of plants in general. And uh, there's already a legislation on how these products are put on the market, for instance, the condition for registration, but also the field trials for the testing. And, uh, and then we have also another part, which is about when this material is authorized, uh, again, how, how it is put on the market. So it's a, it's a very complex uh, legislation, but it's a, it's a super important sector when it comes to exports. The, U, the EU has a share of 20% in the global markets when it, comes of this, uh, when it comes to this product, and it's worth 13 billion uh, euro. Uh, there's also space for investment, for instance, in new varieties on the market. And, uh, of course, since it's a regulation, this framework gave some flexibility to member states to, of course, interpret the original law and, as often as, uh, happen with this kind of legislation, there's been so many different interpretations that at a certain mm. point the Commission say, OK, we need to reform and... Uh, and bring the some some clarity on uh, on uh, this legislation, and then there's also uh, lastly a revision of this food and waste and textile aspect in the EU waste framework directive. So we know that all member states have committed to reduce food waste, uh, also in line with the sustainable uh, uh, development goals. Uh, we know also that there's a food uh, that, uh, that there's a food waste framework a waste framework directive. Uh, which already foresees the members they have to take action to reduce uh, uh, food waste. However, this wasn't enough uh, because the food waste amounts in the EU uh, is not going down. So what we can expect is the Commission to take further action, so basically amend the waste uh, framework directive uh, in this area, so specifically with some uh, further provision when it comes to food waste. So. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, a lot to unpack from the package. Yeah, from the package. <laughs> uh, hopefully it's going to be presented on uh, Wednesday. Let's see. But of course you can stay updated on uh, our website and also on our social media. Let's do some uh, self-promotion as well. <laughs> yes. Not only Julia... I was also traveling uh, two weeks ago, uh, a bit farther than Luxembourg, to be fair, uh, because I was attending this conference in uh, New York, the city that never sleeps, which is actually true because the uh, light pollution is quite a thing there. And this conference was hosted by the global crop science company Bayer. They were uh, launching this new vision with a strong focus on uh, regenerative agriculture. Now, regenerative agriculture is a bit of a buzzword. Uh, it's been used by uh, lots of business operators in the agri-food chain, not only by growers, but also by, for instance, food producers, uh, even retailers. And I remember once in Brussels, I even saw this banner in a very famous fast fashion brand, uh, so not food related. And this banner was saying that the cotton was produced through uh, regenerative agriculture practices. And, uh, of course, there's no such a global definition of, uh, of regenerative agriculture. So I spoke to Rodrigo Santos, head of Crop Science Division and member of the Board of Management at Bayer, uh, and I asked what they mean for uh, regenerative agriculture. What I think is important for me is that all the time that I have conversations with different companies and they talk about regenerative agriculture, I always ask them, 
before we start about the concept of regenerative agriculture, what you're looking for, what is the outcome? Because if the outcome is saying, well, we want to produce more food and we want to reduce the carbon emissions, sequester carbon in the soil, uh, preserve soil, improve soil quality, uh, preserve biodiversity, conserve water. If you have that outcome in mind, good. Then let's work on uh, how we're going to do that. I also had the chance to speak to Axel Trautwein, who's the head of regulatory science at Bayer. And you know that I'm a bit of a regulatory nerd. So I asked him how a global company such as Bayer approaches different uh, regulatory frameworks. I think we need to take into account the different regulatory approaches and different regulatory systems we have in different parts of the world. If I look at the EU and if I look um, at the implications and, and the, also the opportunities for innovation that the Green Deal will bring, there's going to be a higher uptake and, and, and stronger growth of biologics, for example, compared to, to, to chemical crop protection. See, that's why you need to basically put the different puzzle pieces together not only in the context of which grow, crops are grown and what are the, the climatic conditions, but also the regulatory frameworks. And of course, I couldn't refrain from asking uh, what are their expectations on the NGT's proposal, which will be unveiled this week. We spoke a bit about this before. So that's Axel Trautwein's take on that. First of all, let, let me talk about the EU's uh, position. First of all, we highly appreciate that the EU several years ago said that the current GM regulation is not fit for purpose for new genomic technologies. And we highly appreciate that because we think this is a technology that needs to be made available to growers across the world. And it is one element in, in the toolbox for European farming, where we believe we need safe and, and sustainable crop protection chemistry, we need biologics and those with an even growing, um, um, let's say, relevance and gene editing is, is another key tool. Now, we cannot comment on any document uh, which hasn't been officialized yet, but uh, we believe that also from the European perspective and from the Commission's perspective, we're confident that they also want to enable this technology for European farmers. And lastly, of course, since the event was quite focused on innovation, I asked uh, Rodrigo Santos, member of the board uh, of Bayer, we've heard from him before, uh, what's the future of Europe's farming, uh, according to him? And let's hear more from Rodrigo. The European uh, Commission will define what is the right thing for Europe, and we're going to follow that, right? But my key question is that uh, what is European looking for? Uh, are they looking for to, to, to produce more food or less? We want to have more productivity here in Europe. We want to, at the same time, that we want to have a reduction on carbon, uh, carbon sequestration. If that is the equation, then I think we have a convergency. Because then we, we feel that we can help. Uh, we can help on that equation. How can we produce more and be sustainable and responsible and so on? That's all from us this week. Uh, this week, the podcast uh, was produced by your active agri-food team, uh, Yula Dam and Gerardo Fortuna, with the technical support of uh, podcast producer Evi Chiori. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Stitcher and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. Thanks for listening and see you next week.